If you have your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3 is where we are uh, this morning. Kind of hold your spot there. We are continuing in the series called Gospel Shape. This is the fourth message, I believe it is, in this series. So Galatians chapter 3 is where we're going to be. I came across a statistic this week that was uh, not shocking, but shocking at the same time. You know, I guess when you think about it, it shouldn't have surprised me. But, uh, but it was surprising to some degree, 16.7 million Americans in 2017, 16.7 million Americans were victims of identity theft, 16.7 million. To kind of put that in perspective, if you were to go to a coffee shop, Starbucks or some you know, friendship coffee or one of your favorite coffee shops, and it's you and 15 other people in there, there is more, a great, great, great likelihood that one of you was a victim of identity theft in the past year, one in about 15 or one in 16. It's, it's interesting because when you hear those numbers, we think, well, that's adults, right, who've had their identity stolen, they've had a password compromised, people got access to their personal info or a credit card or social security number. But uh, you know, to me, what was surprising was that of that 16 plus million Americans that were victims of identity theft, uh, in 2017, over a million of those were children. <laughs> over a million of those were kids that don't even have credit cards and uh, you know, don't have the accounts like adults do. And of that one million, two-thirds were under the age of eight years old. I mean, this is a rampant issue in our country, right? A rampant issue around the world. And maybe you've been one of those. I mean, if the numbers are accurate, just in this room today, I mean, there, there would be uh, uh, numbers and numbers and numbers of people that would have to raise your hands and say, yep, I've been there. And I've had to go through the hoops of getting my identity restored again. You know, you've had your passwords compromised, your personal info taken. You've had maybe some of the warning signs happen to you where there were charges on a credit card or, or even worse, maybe you went to file an insurance claim and you found out you were maxed out and it wasn't because of you or, or maybe even worse. I mean, there's just someone totally, completely stole your identity and, uh, and are masquerading, right, as you at your own expense. I mean, it, it, it happens every single day. It, it's, it's just rampant in our country. And we shouldn't be surprised because this has been going on since biblical days. You know, in a way, I mean, you could go all the way back to the book of Genesis and the story of Jacob and Esau. Remember that story when, uh, uh, when Jacob and Esau's mom, you know, came in and they kind of passed Jacob off as Esau, gave him the garments of his brother so he'd smell like his brother and, and uh, went on into their dad who couldn't see very well and just sort of passed Jacob off as if he was his own brother. That, that's the original. You, you can maybe win a contest at work tomorrow if you roll that out there. That's the original identity theft that we see, the very first one you see in the Bible. It's been happening ever since, right? It happens to to had to say probably by the end of our lifetime it's going to have happened in some form or fashion to virtually every single one of us. But here's the thing, as we move through this series, what I want to talk about today is that there is a form of identity as it relates to my identity. What could be worse than having my credit card compromised or my social security number you know, taken and then someone masquerading as myself? What could be worse than any of that? What could be worse than having to go through all the hoops and all the legalities of having to have my identity restored? There is something far worse, far, far worse than that. And it's when we fail when it comes to our own personal identity, it's when we fail to understand exactly who we are because of our salvation. 
It's when we fail to grasp, or maybe even on another level, it's when our sense of our own identity gets stolen by the enemy, and we fail to recognize what what, what transaction took place when we gave our lives to Jesus, exactly what happened to our identity at that particular point in time. Well, we're continuing in this series called Gospel Shape, and what we've done is we've begun to try to look at different areas of our lives in light of the gospel so that we are shaped like what the Bible says about us. A couple of weeks ago, I think it was the second message in the series, we looked at gospel-shaped relationships, and we went down the track of forgiveness and how when we choose to forgive, we are being shaped like the gospel, that when you get hurt by someone, someone does you wrong, says something behind your back, or does something to hurt you, and you're in a position where you have to forgive them. When you extend forgiveness, you are then stepping into a gospel-shaped relationship. Why is that? Because the gospel is centered around the person of Jesus who died on a cross to purchase our own forgiveness. And so when we choose to forgive, we're reflecting the message of the gospel. We're reflecting our own salvation by doing what Jesus did for us, forgiving someone who has hurt us or who has wronged us. Last week, we looked at gospel shape as it relates to our past, that everybody has something they regret. Everybody has something back there that if they could go back and change it, they would. It was a failure, or it was some sin, or it was a weekend away, or it was something that they tried to forget about, something they tried to undo, and they just can't undo it. They can't forget about it. Well, the beauty of the gospel is that when we think about our past, we, are, we don't live in light of who we were We live in light of who we are today because of what God has done for us through Jesus. And we looked in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, and man, in that passage, Paul talks about a pretty rough list of stuff, pretty rough list of sins, and every one of us has committed at least one on that list. And we talked about how in that passage in 1 Corinthians 6, Paul talked to the Corinthians and he said, that's who you were. Man, that's who you used to be. But that's not who you are today because, and he gave three words, you have been washed You have been sanctified. You've been justified. The stain of sin has been taken away from you. You have been made holy, and you've been redefined. You've been declared not guilty in the sight of God, right? That when we think about our past, the gospel shapes our past so that we don't get stuck there. We don't define ourselves by that, but we can walk forward in grace and in the truth of God. And so this morning, what we're doing is we're just kind of adding to that that series, and we're going to be looking at what the gospel says about our identity and how the gospel shapes our identity specifically. You think, why is this important? It's important for a lot of different reasons. And I'll go ahead and say, this is a, this is a, a deep message. It can go as deep as you want to go with it. Here's the good thing. You're not the nine o'clock crowd that was having to wake up when they heard this message. Hopefully you've got a little bit of caffeine in you now and, and uh, you're a little more awake. This, this, this is a very, very deep topic that unpacks in a lot of different ways. You think about the student, right? The middle schooler, the high schooler, the college student who is off for the first time away from home. That middle schooler, high schooler, college student in different ways are now being able to make choices that mom and dad don't always know about. And whether they're in sixth grade or ninth grade or a freshman in college or a senior in college or somewhere in between, they've got a little more freedom than they used to when they were in first grade, second grade, and third grade. And all their decisions aren't necessarily under the watchful eye of a parent or a guardian. And as they make their decisions, there are times where there will be a middle school or high school or college student, as the, uh, the rest of us don't do this, but let's just speak of them specifically, where they will make a decision to go along with the crowd. 
And in their heart, because they may have a relationship with Jesus already, they know this isn't right. They know they're going down the wrong track. They know they're only doing this to try to fit in with this particular crowd, but they'll still go ahead and do what they know is not right anyway. Why? Because their identity is wrapped up in the acceptance of others. Their identity is wrapped up in being popular or in just fitting in with that specific person or with that group. They have been sold a bill of goods. They have bought a lie that their identity is wrapped up in being popular or being in with a certain group when those things don't speak to our identity at all. It's the businessman who started out with all the right intentions and his desire in business was to own his own place and to kind of make some money and provide for his family and to do good and to be generous and to help others. But somewhere along the way, it was maybe the uh, accomplishment and the pats on the back and the dollar signs that, that kind of jaded that businessman to the point to where suddenly somewhere along the way, he began looking more at what he has to do to succeed a little bit more than before. And what was once black and white now suddenly has become gray, and he's stepping into areas that he knows isn't right. And he's doing things that he knows are unethical. Why? Because that next rung on that ladder is so important, and his identity is wrapped up in his own success. And as a result of that, the fall is going to come, and it's going to come hard. It's that person who moves from relationship to relationship, from relationship, whether it's dating or married or regardless, moving from one person to the next, to the next, to the next, to the next. Why? Because their identity is wrapped up in who they are with, not in who they are themselves in the person of Jesus Christ. And the list goes on and on and on. There are a variety of ways that we show that our identity is not where it should be. And in life, what happens is, is that many times, whether it's because we're believing a lie or for whatever reason, we find that our identity is not shaped like the gospel at all. It's shaped like something far different. And so this morning, the message is simply entitled, Gospel Shape Identity. Here's the bigger question. What if our identity wasn't wrapped up in popularity? What if our identity wasn't wrapped up in accomplishment? What if it wasn't wrapped up at all in our success or in what we have or in what we don't have or in who knows us or who doesn't know us? What if our identity wasn't determined by where we work or what we drive or where we live or, or, or what school we went to or any of those kinds of things? What if our identity wasn't wrapped up in our skill set or, or our relationships or any of that? What if our identity, listen closely, what if our identity personally as people was determined solely, only, not shared with, but determined solely by the identity that we are given when we come into a relationship with Jesus Christ? And what I want us to do this morning is to look through a variety of passages of Scripture and to see how the gospel isn't good just for getting us to Jesus in a relationship with God, but it also should hitch up to our identity as Christians as well, and it speaks loudly to who we are on the inside. And the reason this series is so important, and the reason this message specifically, I believe, is so important is because if our identity is wrapped up in the wrong things, we're going to crash and we're going to burn at some point sooner than later. It's got to be established in what the Bible says is the truth. And that's what we're going to look at today. I remember when I was a kid, uh, <clears throat> I had this little 
toy, and uh, I thought about this this morning, otherwise I could have got a picture on the overhead for you, but just try to follow me. And uh, so it was this toy, it was an inflatable, and it had sand in the bottom, and it was, it, it kind of had this cone shape, and there was like a picture of a clown, like Bozo the Clown or something on there, remember that? And it, they were heavy at the bottom, they were inflatable, they came about this high, and no matter when you hit them or, or tackled them, they always came right back up again. Everybody with me on that? Everybody? All right, so I had one of those when I was a kid. I used to love playing with it. I was like 18, 19 or so. Just kidding. <laughs> Not really. Uh, that was probably 16. And, um, and so, so I had one of those things. And uh, here, here's the cool thing. No matter how hard you hit it or what you hit it with or who you threw into it, right? It always came back to center. It always came back upright again. Now, get that image in your mind. This is my goal for this whole series, Gospel Shape. My, my goal for this is that this series is going to end in a few weeks, but I hope that the impact of it goes on for the rest of your walks with Jesus. And here's my goal, is that when you go through a hardship in your life that knocks you down, you still come back to the gospel. When you face temptation, you come sailing along the gospel. In your marriage, when it hits a rough spot, you come back to the gospel. In your marriage, when it's sailing along on cruise control in the fast lane and things have never been better, you come back to the gospel. As you raise your kids, you do that by coming back to the gospel. In your relationships, in your finances, in your day-to-day decisions, when no one's even looking, right? You live with the gospel as center in your life. That's my desire for this series is that we don't think culturally, right? The culture will leave you high and dry if we live according to the world's ways of things. Not that we think culturally. My goal is not that we think selfishly, right? I've gotten myself on all kinds of, kinds of issues, right? Because I put myself first, you have too, right? The goal is not to think selfishly. I hope you don't come to church and try to grow in your walks with God because there's more in it for you. Yeah, there is blessing to that, but it's not about us. It's about him. I don't want us to think selfishly about our lives. Here's my goal is that we learn to think about every area of our lives, every day of our lives, gospelly. I know it's not a word. I made it up. But that we think and that we live gospelly. No matter what we face, good times, bad times, easy times, hard times, times of need, times of prosperity, that we think with the gospel as our center. You know, when you look in Scripture, there are a lot of passages that deal with our identity. We're going to walk through probably more passages of Scripture than we normally do. Don't worry, you'll be out on time. But I want to give you a principle that I hope you'll jot down as we start to go through these passages of Scripture. And this, this principle sort of captures everything we're looking at this morning. And the principle is this, that the key for you and for me to, have a, to having a secure identity is ultimately when we know who we are in Christ. If we're not secure in our identity, we will follow just about any appealing track that comes across our way. If if the carrot looks good enough out in front, we will chase it if our identity is rooted to that. But when our identity is rooted solely in the person of Jesus in the gospel and who we are in him... What happens is, is that we have a stability in our lives that keeps us grounded. 
Ephesians 4 talks about being a mature man who is able to withstand the, uh, the winds of false doctrine, right? It's a picture of security. When our security is in Christ, when our identity is rooted in Jesus and in Christ alone, we don't have to fear, right, that the pressure is let off. We don't have to perform. We don't have to have certain things in our lives to feel good about ourselves. See, there's a danger that if your identity is wrapped up in your vocation or in how much you've got or in your good looks or in the money in your bank account, if your identity is wrapped up in your skills or in your relationships, what happens when those things change? (laughs) Because the money may not always be there, the job may be given over to somebody else, and we all know looks go south after a while, right? So if our identity is wrapped up in that stuff, what happens when those things fall apart? Here's what happens. We fall apart with it. We have to be sure that our identity is rooted in Jesus, and with that brings security. You know, when when you were created, the Bible says, Genesis 1, that you were created in the image of God. Uh, Genesis chapter 1 says, in the image of God, he created them, Adam and Eve, male and female, he created them, right? So you were created in the image of God. Every single person in every single seat in this room today bears the image of God. The best person who walks this earth bears the image of God. The worst mass murderer locked away somewhere on death row in some prison somewhere in this world also bears the image of God. We are all created, according to Scripture, in the image of God. But here's what we have to understand. Just because we bear the image of God doesn't mean that we are in relationship with God. It doesn't mean we're in Christ. There has to be a point in our lives where we make a decision on our own. Nobody else can coerce this. We have to decide as an act of our will that I'm going to turn from my sin and I'm going to invite Jesus to come in and forgive me and take over my life. And when you do that, when you give your life to Christ, no matter whether you were six years old or whether you were 96 years old, when you gave your life to Christ, you still bear the image of God right? But you then also were transitioned into a place to where you are in Christ. You are in relationship with him. And when you are in Christ, the Bible makes all kinds of promises, and it says an awful lot about your life and about your identity specifically as you are in relationship with Christ. So let's jump into Galatians chapter 3, and then we're going to move through a lot of scriptures that I want to move through fairly quickly. And what we're looking at is how we have security in our lives whenever our identity is rooted solely in the gospel, solely in who we are in the person of Jesus. So Paul is writing here to the Christians in the region of Galatia. All right, this is an interesting book. It's a short book of scripture, Galatians. He's not writing it to a specific church. He's writing it to a group of churches in a region called Galatia. And so more than likely, this letter would have been read. It would have been handed on, you know, sent by someone to the, to the next city where the group of churches were. And, and it would have been read kind of like a chain letter in a way. And uh, believers in these local churches in Galatia would have benefited from it. Now, it's an interesting book because Paul, as a, as a general rule, is writing to these believers who were kind of on the fence and they're deciding, so do we continue to move forward and walk by grace or are we supposed to be right with God because we obey the law? Are are, are we going to find our identity in grace in Christ or will our identity be rooted in our obedience to the law of God? And this was a big question they were wrestling with. Paul wrote this letter to give them some instruction. So notice what he says here. This is an awesome passage of scripture. In Galatians chapter 3, 
verse 26 through verse 28. Take a look at what it says here. You can read along with me in your Bible if you have a copy. So Paul writes and he says, for you, he says to the Christians, this is important, to the Christians in these churches in Galatia, for you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. Now let me just pause here for a second. If you have a copy of the Bible and if you don't mind writing in it, here's what I encourage you to do. Every passage where it says in Christ or in Christ Jesus or in him, just circle that or underline it or highlight it if you like to do that. It's, it's not blasphemous <laughs> for you to write in scripture, right? You don't get put in time out your first day in heaven because you wrote the Bible. It's okay to do that. I find notes in my Bible all the time of things that I heard or things that I read that uh, God uses to speak into my life. So just consider circling. We're going to see a lot of these in Christ Jesus. So he says, you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who were baptized into Christ, he's not talking about you were baptized in water. What he's referencing here is the fact that your old life was buried and that you were raised as a new creature in Christ. All of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free man. These were all things that people would have counted their identity as being dictated by. There is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Here's what Paul's saying is, he's saying your identity is not rooted in your heritage. It doesn't matter if you're a Greek, Galatians it doesn't matter. That, that doesn't dictate your identity. It doesn't matter if you are American or Hungarian or Russian. Those things do not dictate your identity. Paul is also saying it doesn't matter what religion you may be. If you are a Jew, part of God's chosen people, that is not your identity. Your, your identity is not determined by what religious group you may be a part of. He says your identity is not related to any type of a political statement. It doesn't matter, he says, whether you're a slave or whether you're a free man. In the Roman Empire, there were thousands and thousands and thousands of slaves. It was a much different context than our nation's history, but still, it was slavery nonetheless. He says, it don't matter if you politically identify as a slave or as a free man. Today, it's, I don't care if you're Republican. I don't care if you're a Democrat. I don't care if you vote or if you don't vote. Those things don't speak to your identity. It's not who you are. He even goes on and says, there's neither male nor female. Now, obviously, Paul, right? I mean, he's a grown man. He knows absolutely in our culture, you got men running around and women running around. He understood this. He's not saying something that makes no sense. He's saying your identity is not rooted even at that base level. Here's your identity. He says, you are all one. How? In Christ Jesus. This is how God sees you primarily. He sees your identity as being dictated solely by who you are in Christ. <laughs> let's, let's move through about eight different passages here. And again, I'll move quickly. Don't even try to keep up with me unless you want a Bible drill back in the day somewhere and you know, when you were a kid in kids' church or something. Just listen, jot down the references, okay? Because we're going to move through these pretty quickly. Look at Romans 6. What Romans 6 has to tell us about our identity, verse 11, Paul says, Even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. 
Believer, listen, if you've given your life to Christ, one of the things that the gospel says about your identity is that you are alive in Jesus. Do you remember what it was like back before Jesus when you were just dead on the inside? Do you remember what you chased to find satisfaction? Do you remember what you chased after to try to find fulfillment? Do you know what you chased after to try to find a sense of identity that, 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 that defined who you were? Paul says, no. He says, you're dead to sin now, but you are alive to God in Christ Jesus. Romans chapter 8, verse 1, two chapters later in this amazing book, he says, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are what? In Christ Jesus. If you've given your life to Christ, you're a follower of Jesus today, listen, you have no condemnation over your life. God doesn't ever look at you and he doesn't, and he doesn't see you with any ounce of condemnation. Why is that? Because of the cross. When Jesus died on the cross and he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why did the father turn his head from Jesus? Because he bore the sin of the world. He bore your sin and he bore my sin. And the condemnation that your sin and my sin deserves was put on Jesus at the cross 2,000 years ago. That's why Paul can come along. Man, this is just, this is so awesome. And that's why he can write in chapter 8, verse 1, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Do you remember when Peter? <clears throat> do you remember when Peter denied Jesus in the Gospels? I didn't share this in the first service. And remember when he, he's there and, and the, the girls come up to him and three different occasions, like, weren't you with Jesus? And he's like, no. Second time, weren't you with? I think you were with Jesus. You're one of his people. No, you don't know what you're talking about. Third time, they say it. He's like, I don't even know the man. You remember that passage? If not, I just laid it out for you. And it says on the third time that the rooster crowed, just like Jesus told Peter would happen. And I think it's Luke specifically who says, and Jesus looked at Peter. Specifically, he looked at Peter. Peter went out and wept bitterly. Let, let, me, let, me, let me walk you through this for a second. Get that scene in your, in your eyes, uh, in your mind's eye. Peter has just denied. He walked with Jesus for three and a half years. He just did not even know him. And Jesus, probably beaten almost beyond recognition by this point, looks at him in the eye. How do you think Jesus looked at him? What do you think that was a look of? You know what most of us would say? I think most of us would say it was probably a look of frustration, anger. How could you? Don't you know what I've done for you? Don't you know what I'm about to do for you? And this is what I get? That kind of a look. And you know what? The way that you picture that Jesus looked at Peter at his point of failure and sin is probably the way you imagine he looks at you at your point of failure and sin. But Romans 8.1 says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's a deep, amazing, beautiful truth to grasp. Your identity is that God 
does not condemn you. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 2. Paul writing to the church in Corinth, to the church of God, which is at Corinth, to those who have been sanctified in Christ Jesus. Saints by calling <laughs> with all who in every place call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. That would be you and me, their Lord and ours. In Christ Jesus, again, that's the key. Paul refers to believers as being sanctified. That means being made holy in a way that we didn't originally have. It's Jesus' holiness given to us. And then he even goes so far as to say that you are saints. Hey, this is a great weekend to go walking into work tomorrow, right? And when you get there, just say, hey, everybody, 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 St. Brooks is here, all right? Don't put your name in. That'd just be weird. But just, you know, St. Saint whatever, your name here is here. Because that's what the Bible says about you. That's how God sees you. That's not just, uh, you know magician's sleight of hand. This is the truth. This is a gospel-shaped identity. God says you are sanctified. God says you are holy. I know what you did back there. It's forgiven. I, I, I know what you wish you could go back and do over. You can't, and I've already paid for it. I've already covered it. I've already removed it as far as the east is from the west. Uh, God says, I already know all that. that. That's not the issue. That's forgiven. You are holy. You are a saint in every biblical sense of the word. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17, a verse many of you may already be familiar with. Therefore, if anyone is, there it is again, in Christ, here's what that means. Here's your identity. You are a new creature. You're not second rate. You're not kind of like fixed up and repaired a little bit and patched over with a bunch of spiritual duct tape. That's not how God operates. He says, if you are in Christ, you are a brand new creature. What about the old God? The old it's passed away. It's done away with. Behold, all things have come. You are a brand new person, God says. Let's go a little bit further. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Have you ever prayed, oh God, I just need a little more grace? God's like, I already gave it to you. You got it all. Just walk in it, right? God, I wish I just had a little bit more of this. You know what? I've already blessed you. Ephesians 1, 3, I've blessed you with every spiritual blessing. It's not everyone's. It's only to those who are in Christ. If you are in Jesus, your identity is that you have been fully equipped to walk with God and to enjoy God and to be used by God. A little further in that chapter, Ephesians chapter 4 Verse 32, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ has also forgiven you. You are forgiven in the sight of God. Colossians chapter 10, chapter 2, verse 10, I love this one. And in him, in Christ, you have been made complete. <laughs> and I love that. He is the head over all rule and authority. So, so here's the thing, this lets the pressure off. Right, if I'm a ball player, and let's just say, let's just say I uh, say I'm a baseball player, you know, and I'm up to bat, and the bases are loaded, this is the bottom of the ninth, and it's the championship. Yeah, I'm going to want to get a hit. Yeah, I'm going to want to knock in the, the winning run, absolutely, because I'm going to be one who's a competitor. I want to do that, but I don't have to stand up there at the plate with all the pressure of the world. Right? I don't have to carry that pressure because my identity is not wrapped up in getting the hit and causing my team to win. My identity is wrapped up in Jesus. And at the end of the day, I don't care if I strike out and my team loses and they talk about me at every reunion for the next you know, 50 years, it really doesn't matter because that's not my identity. You work hard and your boss overlooks your work and, and, and you get cut loose 
and sent out, right? You get laid off or fired. Yes, that's painful. Yes, that creates a lot of questions, but God is going to be faithful. And your identity is not wrapped up in what you do anyway. It's wrapped up in Christ. So you might not have a date. So you might not be married yet. Those are things to pray about. But your identity is not rooted in who you're with or who you're not with. Your identity as a believer is rooted in Jesus. Does this make sense? This is what God says about us. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21. Man, we've been, we've been hopefully trying to memorize this verse now for three or four weeks. This is the gospel that he made him, the father made the son who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that in exchange, we might become the righteousness of God. Not everybody in the whole wide world, but only those who are in Christ. And this is, Christian, this is your identity. This is who you are. Remember this the next time your heart breaks. Remember this the next time the bottom falls out. Remember this the next time the enemy rolls a temptation across your plate. Remember this the next time that you're out of work or in debt or just flat worn out or disillusioned with life in this world. Remember this. This is who you are in Christ. Culture doesn't dictate who you are. You can't even dictate who you are. This is what Jesus says about you. And the key to a secure identity is to know who you are in Christ. By the way, let me just say this. Time's getting away. If our identity is not rooted in Jesus, it's rooted somewhere. And we'll do whatever it takes to make sure that we find it. If your identity is not rooted solely in what the gospel says about you as a believer, if it's not rooted in the person of Jesus and being in Christ, if your identity is found somewhere else, primarily relationship, success, money, whatever it may be, you're going to chase that path and it's going to leave you high and dry. I promise. Jesus is at the beginning of his ministry. Mark captures it for us in Mark 3 and Mark 4, or Matthew does in Matthew 3 and Matthew 4. Everything is laid out in front of him for Jesus. This, this is literally the start of his public ministry. He's about to be baptized, not because he had sinned and needed forgiveness, not because he was lost and had trusted, you know, trusted God for salvation. Jesus is about to be baptized as an example for the rest of us. An interesting thing would happen there at his baptism. His cousin, John the Baptist, would be the one that would baptize him. Look at what it says here, Matthew chapter 3. Look at what Matthew gives us in regards to the events of that day. Verse 16 to verse 17. It says, after being baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water And behold, the heavens were opened. Imagine you're standing on the banks of the Jordan River here. Man, what an amazing sight. The heavens were opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending as a dove and lighting on him. And behold, a voice out of the heavens said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. I mean, this is the voice of God the Father echoing from heaven. This is my Son. It is his stamp of approval. This is 
is the Messiah. This is God in the flesh. And Jesus didn't need to be reminded of his identity. He was firmly aware of who he was when he walked this earth. He knew he was God. He knew he was 100% man. God is not reminding, the Father's not reminding Jesus of this. He is making a statement for everyone there that this is the one you've heard about. This is God. It is no accident the very next chapter and the very next transition in Jesus' life occurs. Let's read it, Matthew chapter 4. And then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he then became hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. Isn't that interesting that the enemy, the very thing that God had just pronounced over Jesus, the enemy comes and attacks at that point. If you do not know who you are in Christ, and if your identity is rooted in something other than Jesus Christ, do not think the enemy will not bring along an enticement at that very point to lure you away from God. And so he comes to Jesus and says, if you're the son of God, really, come on. I mean, if you really are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. But he answered and said, it's written, man shall not live on bread alone. This is a quote from the Old Testament. But on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Well, the devil took him into the holy city and had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple. And he said to him again a second time, if you are the Son of God, he's attacking him at his place of identity. If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down. Because after all, it's written, let's continue, next slide. He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. And Jesus said to him, on the other hand, it's written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And then the next slide, the next verse continues. And again, the devil took him to a very high mountain. Things I will give you if you fall down and worship me. Jesus said to him, go Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. How ironic that the enemy comes and attacks him at the point of identity. And how significant that Jesus knew exactly who he was and that he stood firm. And we're all glad that he did. So where is your identity found today? Is it in your success? Is it in your job? If it is, what's going to happen if that job suddenly disappears? Is it in your looks? Is it in your relationships? Is it in your skill set? Where's your identity? How much freedom and how much joy and how much peace and what an awesome sound of hearing that pressure release from life if we can just be sure of who we are in Christ. Hey, if you don't know him today, God invites you into a beautiful relationship where sin is forgiven and where he is yours. If you just turn from that sin and invite Christ to forgive and take over. And if you know him, Hey, listen, if you set that watch for 521 like I have, or maybe 316 p.m. for John 316, and it goes off this week, I challenge you, 
at least seven times over the next week, you'll be reminded maybe the time when you need to be. You know what? My identity is not found in anything or anyone else but in Christ alone. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your truth. Thank you for what your word says about us. God, the world says a lot of things about Christians. The enemy certainly loves to whisper in our ears and remind us of where we once were and who we once were. But God, we thank you that beyond all that, that it's the gospel that really shapes our identity. And when we're secure in who we are in Christ, Lord, it changes pretty much everything. Things that we once fell prey to, we don't fall prey to those things anymore because we're secure in Christ. Things we once feared, Lord, we don't have to fear anymore because we're secure in Christ, a Savior who loves us so much that he died for us. Lord, it really sets us free to enjoy life, (laughs) to enjoy your blessings. And yet, God, we seem to struggle with this so often, all of us, just believing the truth of what your word says, who we are in Jesus. Lord, it's not automatic being in Christ. Lord, we have to make a decision. And there may be some here today that have never, ever really made that, that choice to lay down sin the best they can and to just admit it to you, Jesus, and to invite you to come in and and forgive them and to wipe the slate clean and to to take over so they can follow you. But God, right where they sit today, they they can do that. It's not so much about the words in a prayer as it is the position of their heart to just say, Jesus, would you forgive me and take over from this day forward? And so God, thank you for Thank you for such an offer as that. Teach us, God, to live gospelly, that we always come back to center, defined by the gospel. Whatever decisions we need to make to do that today, help us to do it. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand.